Good morning, Thrive. If you're just tuning in, it is good to be with you this Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lovers Lane, and you're in Thrive Worship this morning as we begin a new sermon series this Easter Sunday called Become the Gospel. And we're going to be talking about what it means for us to uh, progress from simply being folks who learn about Jesus and understand Jesus' teachings to being a people who live out the love of Christ and become the gospel, as our scripture says, to, as James would say, to not only be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we're going to be looking at the action-oriented nature of the Christian faith during this Easter season, because it's not just today. We are kicking off the Easter season in the Christian calendar, and so we hope that you'll be with us not just this Sunday, but for the many weeks to come as we continue in this sermon series. I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us online. Hey, Ashley. Uh, Sloan says hi. Hey, Sloan. How are you doing? In the internet cool? Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. Two Marys. Hey, Brenda. Hey, Rosie. Hey, Patty. Let us know that you're with us. Uh, check in on Facebook or, or uh, submit a form on our online page. Let us know that you're here. Let us know if we can connect with you in any way and know that there are pastors in the live chat that are ready to talk to you and pray with you, uh, both publicly and also through private message, and we're just glad that you're with us this morning. So without any further ado, let's get into our scripture this morning. It's a, it's a story that I know that most of us have heard before, but it's a story that we need to hear every single year. This comes to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is the story of the empty tomb on Easter morning. Let's hear it again. It says this, early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John's talking about himself, and said, they've taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple, John, ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up on its own. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb, crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she replied, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, 
Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my father and your father. To my God and your God, Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he had said to her. The word of God for the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. Amen. So let's talk about Mary of Magdala, this Mary Magdalene who is at the empty tomb for a second. Mary Magdalene, here's a, here's a picture of her, a, a portrayal of her. Uh, she's a venerated saint in the Christian faith, and I'll explain the egg in a second. Mary of Magdala was, was from this place called Magdala. That's where she gets her name, Mary Magdalene. And we see her throughout Scripture in several places, uh, but we don't know a whole lot about who she was. There's a lot of controversy about her past, what maybe she had a checkered past. What we do know that maybe she was someone of some means who supported Jesus financially. But what we definitely know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, was that she was one of, and I would dare say on this Easter morning, that she was the most faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, she wasn't named amongst the 12 disciples, and we can get into gender roles and, and the systems she lived within in those days. But if you look at every one of the Gospels, now, they don't always agree on what happened when and who was where, but they agree about one thing. On Easter morning, at the empty tomb, there was one person who was included in every single Gospel account who was there, who saw the empty tomb, who met the risen Christ, and who carried the gospel message as the first carrier of the gospel truth for the church. That one person is Mary. Mary was at the cross when everyone else ran away. Mary was at the tomb when everybody else ran away. She was ever faithful, ever dutiful, ever loving, ever caring. She was so loving to her faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's something that the Gospels agree on. So we know that about Mary. She's portrayed in these, in these paintings holding an Easter egg, right? And the egg doesn't just come from the Easter bunny. It comes from the Christian tradition of the resurrection and the new life that comes out of the empty tomb. That's her, that's her symbol in sainthood. And so this is the woman. This is the disciple who meets Jesus at the empty tomb. And Jesus asks Mary a really simple question. Let's hear it again. He says, Mary... Who are you looking for? He says, who are you looking for? Now, that's a simple question, a who question. You expect to receive a simple answer, but, but Mary doesn't quite answer the question she's asked. She's asked a who question, and she offers a what answer. I don't mean to say that her answer is bad. In fact, I think it exemplifies her faith. She says, I am looking for essentially the body of Jesus. Now, she refers to the body as though it is Jesus, but she says, I'm looking for the dead body. I'm looking for the body of my teacher, my king, my savior. I don't think that's a bad answer. In fact, I think it reveals that Mary is as faithful as we've always known her to be. Peter and John have fled. They're depressed. They're running back to join everybody else who believes that life is over, the movement is dead, and everything is done. But Mary remains. And she says, it is, not, it is too much that they killed 
my friend and my teacher and my savior, I will not allow them to desecrate his body as well. Where is the body? That's a statement of faith. But it's not the answer that Christ is looking for. Where Mary seeks to honor this past life of her Lord, Jesus understands that this morning is about something so much more. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into the text. Maybe I'm reading between the lines. Maybe I'm taking a little bit of artistic license. But this week, something new emerged out of this story for me. Now, Jesus asks a simple question, right? Who are you looking for? And that is a question that ought to be answered with a name. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. But look at what Jesus says. The next thing he says, Mary. Is Jesus answering his own question? Mary says, I'm looking for a dead body. And Jesus answers his own question and says, Mary, I'm looking for you. While Mary looks for a dead body, Jesus is looking for a living disciple, just one. Just one who's remained faithful. Just one who's remained present. Just one who believes in the power of God's love. Mary, I'm looking for you. I wonder what that means for us today. How many of us woke up this Easter morning looking for something we've always known? Looking for a room to be filled. Looking, looking into the, an empty room and wondering where everything went. Why can't I be with my people? Why can't I celebrate and honor this day in the way that I have in the past? And Jesus says, who are you looking for? And we say, we're looking for this room to be filled. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for one living disciple who's ready to stick their hand up and say, me, I'm ready, I'm faithful, I'm present, I'm here. Maybe Jesus is looking for you. So the story continues and Mary recognizes her Savior. She says, Rabunai, right? She doesn't call him by his name. She calls him by the Aramaic term for teacher, like rabbi, teacher, Rabunai, teacher. Now, now this is the role that Mary and the other disciples would have been most familiar with, with Jesus. This is the dynamic they so frequently had, that of teacher and student, right? And so she proclaims, teacher, and Jesus, he doesn't quite rebuke her, but he challenges her and says, "Don't, don't hold on to me. See, I think Jesus knew that it was easy to get stuck in this student-teacher mindset. It was, a, it was a model that was portrayed both in their Jewish culture and in the larger Roman culture where a student was meant to sit and to serve and to listen and to, and to allow the teacher who was the holder of all knowledge and all wisdom to just simply guide them and teach them long into old age until one day the teacher would die and maybe one of the students would ascend to the role of teacher then. But, but Jesus is saying, don't get stuck in that dynamic. Don't hold on to me like I'm simply a teacher. There's more to this. Jesus is not satisfied with that being their primary relationship, teacher and student. He says, don't hold on to me. And then what he does is this. He says, he uplifts Mary and the other disciples. He says, go and tell my brothers and sisters, right, already creating equal ground. Go and tell my brothers and sisters that I am going to my father And their father, my father is their father, is your father. To my God is your God, is my God and your God, right? We are more alike than you know, Jesus says. And it's time for you to stop simply learning and it's time to start doing. Jesus wants to be more than our teacher and wants us to be more than students. 
It is not enough for Jesus to be our teacher in the Christian faith. Jesus wants to be more than our teacher and wants us to be more than students. We are not called to simply hear the gospel, my friends, or to know about Jesus and his teachings. Now, I love knowing stuff, but that's not all that faith is about. We are called to become the gospel, to live out the love of Christ in our lives. We're called to move beyond moral platitudes and mental exercises and into the world as active members of the body of Christ. Are you ready for that kind of a relationship with Jesus beyond a teacher and student and into someone who guides our hearts and our lives? Because here's the incredible thing about what happens when we can move from simply learning about Jesus to living like Jesus. So then Scripture tells us this. Mary goes and tells the disciples, and I love this this artistic rendition of, of this. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Look at all their reactions to this news. Some are shocked, some are celebrating, some are worried. There's so many reactions. She says, I have seen the Lord, and then she told them what he had said to her. So speaking of being a student, I want to take us all back to the eighth grade. Didn't we all love the eighth grade? I've seen a lot of senior photos floating around right now. Folks are posting their old senior photos as, uh, as we are uh, honoring and recognizing the fact that the 2020 graduates this year are not going to be able to have their graduations, their proms, all of their pomp and circumstance as usual. So I've got a different kind. I didn't ever take a senior photo, but this is me in the eighth grade. Are you ready? Prepare yourselves. It's a lot of sexy. I know. I know. I know, the, the, the brace face, the acne, the Pastor Scott was there too, unfortunate haircut choices, I, I know. I wish I still had hair, uh, that hair, uh, maybe not that hairstyle. That was me in the eighth grade. The eighth grade is when I was in algebra. Who remembers eighth grade algebra? And I had Mrs. Lavender. Mrs. Lavender had this sing-song voice that would sort of lull you to sleep and if the algebra didn't already make you sleep. I wasn't much of a math guy, if you can't tell. I've gotten better. I know how to read a budget sheet today. But in eighth grade algebra, that was the first time uh, that Mrs. Lavender said to me, Scott, you are not always going to have a calculator in, in, in your pocket. You're not always going to have a calculator with you. And on this Easter Sunday where hundreds, if not even a thousand people are watching, I just want to say definitively that Mrs. Lavender, you are wrong. I have a calculator right here on my phone. Boom! Gotcha! No, I'm kidding. Miss Lavender was an awesome teacher. Uh, she was way too patient with me, and she taught me well. So um, it was also the class where I learned about exponential equations. Do you all remember exponential equations? These are the equations where as you go along the x-axis, the number begins to increase at a higher and higher rate until by the end of the graph, it's shooting straight upward to where you can't even see it anymore. Here's a, here's a picture of one. Maybe you've seen exponential equations and exponential graphs in the news recently. A linear graph is where you take 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1. Exponential is where it's, it's squared or cubed, and that, that growth continues to grow, and it grows at a faster and faster and faster rate. I wasn't too good at those in eighth grade, but I started thinking about exponential equations this past week as I began to think about Easter and I began to think about the resurrection and I began to think about the season we're in. Maybe you've been seeing graphs like that in the news recently. Maybe you've been seeing graphs like that about uh, the growth of the, the pandemic that we're experiencing and how we're trying to flatten that curve. See, what, what, what became apparent to me this past week as I was reading this story is that Mary and the disciples were so laser-focused on the singular loss of this one person named Jesus whom they so relied upon. 
And we don't need to discount the loss and the grief that they were experiencing. This was massive for them. One man who meant so much. And yet, even in his own bodily resurrection, even when Jesus reverses, defeats death, right? Even when Jesus comes back in the person, in the flesh, he knows that there is so much more to resurrection than just one body. Not only was Jesus' body resurrected, but on Easter morning, the lives and the hopes and the dreams and the passions and the love of countless disciples were resurrected along with him. And it started with Mary of Magdala, one person. Remember that graph? One person. It starts with Mary of Magdala. And then she goes and tells a dozen or more people in that home with the disciples. And then they go and they tell dozens, if not hundreds of more, in Jerusalem, in Rome, in Corinth, in Colossae, in Ephesus, as far as India. And then they go and tell, and then they go and tell, and before you know it, it's off the charts. The gospel message spread exponentially as one became 12, became 100, became 1,000, became today over 2 billion people who can stand and say on Easter morning, I have seen the Lord. That's the power of exponential growth, and that's the power of an exponential movement, and that's the power of the resurrection. The promise of resurrection is this. I know you were wondering how algebra fits into Easter. Death subtracts, but God's love multiplies. The promise of resurrection is while death can subtract, God's love will multiply. My friends, this Easter, I am seeing the promise of resurrection here in this place. And I mean in this place, in Asbury Hall. You can't see right now, but behind the cameras where they're sitting, we, we have an empty room. It's just me and a couple of our worship team, a couple techs in the back of the room. It's an empty room. And, and I showed up this morning feeling a little bit like Mary of Magdala. Stands in the back waving his hands. Hi, Stan. I showed up this morning wondering where the people are, seeing an empty room and thinking this isn't quite right, this isn't what I wanted, what I expected. But I know what God can do with an empty room. I know what God can do with one empty room and one living disciple. Because my friends, this Easter, the church is not in the building. The church is just like Jesus. It is alive. It is risen. It is sent out. I see the exponential of power of God this Easter. I see the exponential hope of a worship space converted into a produce packing plant. Ten tables in this room packing produce. Thousands, and I mean thousands of pounds of produce every single week being sent out to families experiencing food insecurity. I see exponential care and compassion in the thousands upon thousands of text messages and phone calls and emails and Zoom hangouts I know that we've been sending to one another, checking in, trying to be the best community we can be in our distanced time. I see exponential grace as I've prayed with folks and let them pray over me and my family. I've seen more vulnerability and honesty in the last three weeks than ever before in my life as we all acknowledge that this is hard. We don't have this all together. But as the late great Bill Withers said, God rest his soul, sometimes we all need somebody to lean on, even if that means venting via text message. I see exponential gratitude in the ways that we have become aware of those who day after day continue to provide essential services, the healthcare workers, the, the grocery store clerks, the mail carriers, the custodians who are cleaning our spaces. I pray that we can honor them long after this season is over and not just with our words, but also with our actions. I see exponential love 
as we have already begun to reevaluate the priorities in our lives, the importance of community, the importance of community health, the value of quality time spent with our family, with our loved ones, so many ways I've seen in messages from members of my own family and friends. Not only is this Resurrection Sunday, my friends, this is a resurrection season. Easter is not a day. It is several weeks long. Do you see the exponential power of resurrection this Easter morning? I hope that you'll join us these next several weeks as we continue a conversation about what it means to become the gospel, to ascend from being students and people who know about Jesus to becoming people who live like Jesus and what God can do in a world when there are people like that. Because we need only to look to Mary Magdalene to see what God can do when even one of us, just one of us says, I am here, I'm ready, send me. My friends, it is Easter. Death is is defeated. Christ is alive. God's love is exponential, and we are invited into this resurrected movement. Who are you looking for this Easter? The Lord is looking for you. Amen.